This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So um, I know we're in the middle of Advent, but I just want to do something that's going to set you up uh, pretty much for the, for the new year. So we've been doing a series through grace, uh, on grace, and I want to, to pick that up and, and run with it a little bit. So over the last few months, we've been looking about how grace uh, transforms us. and yeah, Hopefully it's landed, these kind of ideas have landed, that God's grace is God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of his love. In other words, it's God's unmerited favour towards you who deserved, and me, who deserved anything but favour. In grace, it means that God stoops down to bring us to himself because we're fallen and broken and we can't bring ourselves to God. So it's God's initiative. Uh, and, and, and therefore, grace is never a result of our earning God's favour by keeping the spiritual rules. I know it's so easy if you're a Christian here this morning to feel like, well, when I've, uh, when I've done the, the things that Christians are supposed to do, um, then, then God will love me. And if I don't do the Christi- things that Christians are supposed to do, then God won't love me. But if you're a parent, you know that that's not true. When my uh, kids didn't do what I wanted them to do, I didn't love them less. Uh, they were disciplined, as the Bible says, but, you know, I didn't love them less. And uh, when they did stuff, you know, that I was proud of, I didn't love them more. Uh, and, and there's a sense where God's grace isn't about us earning his favor. So that could leave us then feeling, well, well, well okay, we don't have anything to do. And, and Graham, a few weeks ago, talked about, well, no, actually, gra- grace is more formative than that. So he preached out of Titus 2, uh, 11 and 12, and this is a really good verse to remember. For the grace of God appeared, that's Jesus, (laughs) in case you're wondering, grace of God appeared bringing salvation to all men. This grace teaches us to say no to sin and worldly desires and to live godly lives in this present age. So in one sense, grace is, 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 is also proactive. It's not just that you receive God's blessing, but actually grace, when it's received, causes you to do things. First thing is it causes you to say no to sin. But the other thing is it encourages you to live godly lives. And um, so grace isn't, opposed, isn't just simply the passive avoidance of sin. It's the active pursuit of Jesus. So it's saying no to sin, but it's actually the active pursuit of Jesus. And we can get that confused. So Dallas Willard is a, 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 a guy from California, church leader and philosopher. He said this, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. In other words, you're supposed to make an effort in the Christian life, but that effort doesn't earn you God's love and God's favour. You do that because actually there's a love relationship going on. And when you're in love, it's not an effort. You know, I, I'm already, if I dig too deeply, I'm already, I might be in danger, my wife's sitting on the front, you know. But it, it's not an effort to, to serve and love and do the things that, you're, that those you love if you're truly in love. It is a chore if you're not in love. Uh, and so 
and, and, and the Bible's full of lots of times where, where different writers, Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews, Peter, Paul, tell us, make every effort. Make every effort. Let me just give you an example. This is not my passage, but just to give you an example. God's divine power, Peter writes, has given us everything we need for, a, for living a godly life. In other words, that's God's grace has come to us. And therefore, he says, for this reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness community togetherness or mutual affection, to community togetherness love. It's a great verse. I mean, I should be preaching on that this morning, but I'm not. I just threw it in for free. It says, if you have these qualities in increasing measure, that they co- then they come from being making an effort, they will keep you from being, these are staggering words, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you live the Christian life and you don't make an effort to grow in faith and knowledge and love and self-control and perseverance, keeping going in tough times as we were singing, and godliness and being in community, the reality is you will be ineffective and unproductive. So we've got to make an effort. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews puts, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we have to be proactively making an effort to approach God. He's full of grace. He wants to give his goodness and blessing and love to you. But you need to be proactive. There's things you can do. So it's great you're here this morning because that's making an effort. I know you might think, yeah, it's a real effort to, to listen to you. But, you know, it's great. But, but making, it's making an effort because as you make an effort, then grace comes to you. And so I want to talk. We're going to pick up today, and I'm doing it to reboot you for the 1st of January. Resolution Sunday, whatever you call it. You know, we, I want to encourage you to make resolutions from January. You can, you can chill over Christmas you can have mulled wine, mince pies, you can hang out, you can eat meat, you can get fat, you can be a vegan, you can be, get, stay thin, you can do whatever you want to do. But actually, in the 1st of January, we're going to say, right, let's go. And I want to give us a way into that. Uh, uh, and, and so this second part of this series on grace is called Grace Works, which might sound like an oxymoron, like Microsoft works. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Grace works, you know, but actually it means that because of grace, these are the things to make an effort. So this morning I want to talk about community, I want to talk about reading your Bible, and I want to talk about a scary one called confession. Okay, so belt up, that was my intro. Boom, okay, so this is my passage, we'll read and pray. Mark 2, you might, familiar passage, you may have even heard me talk about this before. A few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. There's a sermon there, isn't there, about he's got a home. It's his people, no place, he didn't own a house, but he had a people. They gathered in such large numbers there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came to him bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So if they could not get to him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through it, and the lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Lord, I pray as we look at this really short but profound story of 
encountering you, of friends working together, of pressing in to you. I pray, Lord, that you draw us into those spiritual practices, those habits of being in community together, being really friends together, being reading the Bible collectively, pushing ourselves to, to love your word. And I pray that we'd be able to take off our masks and say, this is who I really am. I need the grace of God. So I pray, teach us these things this morning in Jesus' name. Okay, the first thing uh, about this guy is that if you're paralyzed, it's, it's obvious you're paralyzed. So uh, if somebody, so, so we've got a guy here, who I love a really good friend of mine who's in a wheelchair this morning. Uh, and, and people can make judgments about, uh, about, about him because he's in a wheelchair. But actually, when you talk to Alex, he's, a sh- he's sharp, he's there, he's all in. You know, I love chatting to him. But people can say, oh, he's in a wheelchair. And it's kind of, Alex's weaknesses are obvious. But the truth is, because you don't have a wheelchair, or you don't have a, a mat like the paralyzed man, is you can look like you don't need any help. You can look like you don't need any help. So Alex comes with a different carer every week and they get to hear about Jesus, which we like, so welcome. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, but, but Alex comes with a carer and you might think, well, I'm good. I don't need anybody this morning. I'm fine. But the fact is, the moment that first, uh, the first humans sinned, Adam and Eve rejected God, the reality is that we were damaged beyond repair, spiritually paralyzed unable to drag ourselves into God's presence. We're unable to do this. We can't, by our own good works, and this is what we've been teaching by grace, you can't, by your own good efforts, raise yourself up to stand in the presence of God as one righteous. You can't do that. In that sense, we're spiritually paralysed. We're all in the dirt. We can't lift ourselves up. We're all in the same boat as everybody else. We're all broken. And John Ortberg, in his brilliant book, where I nicked the idea from, it's okay to nick ideas, as long as you say who they're from. So this is my self-disclosure. This great book, John Ortberg, it's a brilliant book on community. It's called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. You, you know it's going to be a good book, don't you, when it says, yeah, everybody's normal till you get to know them. Yeah, I, and I got to, I actually, people think, actually, I'm not normal, because they hear me preaching, and then when they get to know me, I'm actually more normal, and then there's a second phase, you realise, no, 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 you're just as crazy as everybody else. But the fact is, we're all normal till you get to know them. The truth about us all is that everybody has a mat, says John Ortberg. That we carry around with us as a testimony of our own defective brokenness and imperfections. You've got a mat. Actually, sometimes people trip over it. You know, so I've got a mat on Sunday mornings and I get told off, you know, I move the chairs and I say, don't sit there and don't put your bag there and don't do that. And, do and everyone says, well, I don't really like you because you're like that. And I think, yes, I know, I've got a mat. And Christopher in the elders meeting says, look, I just need to speak to you. And I'm going, oh, I know what's coming. And I'm, Lord, I'm sorry, I wish I want to do that. And, and, and I just want to be nice and friendly, but I just, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit OCD and I like to see things like, so I think Mike said to me, what is the matter with you? Why are you always moving things I, I don't know I just should talk to Mike and have a proper conversation but there I am moving the Christmas wrapping paper and I think oh it's my mat I'm sorry but if I got to know Mike you know we'd all think hey Mike's got a mat you know we, we, yeah we know we, you've all got one 
It's some of you are really good at hiding it. You know, you went to the right kind of schools where they told you how to brush up and look good. But the fact is, you've all got a mat. So I've got a mat. There's only one guy in this story who hasn't got a mat, and that's Jesus. But we've all got a mat, and, and our mats, and we've talked about this, I talk about this so many times, our sin causes us to hide. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, what we do is we become really good at mat management. We become really good at hiding the fact that we're broken. We become, you know, the pathetic fig leaf attempt at, um, you, know, you know, oh no, no, I'm hiding our shame. It's just pathetic. And we all do it, and I've used this quote many times because I think it's an absolute smasher, uh, Dennis Copeland, Douglas Copeland in his book, The Girlfriend in a Coma, I haven't read, but uh, the quote's great. Nobody believes the identities we've made for ourselves. I feel like everyone in the world is fake now. As though people had true cause once, but we hide them away and replace them with something more attractive, but also more hollow. We're doing the shell game, aren't we? We're buffing up the outside to hide the mat inside, to hide the brokenness inside. And actually, Christians are so good at that, that, that actually some people think that's, the, that's what religion is about, don't they? Yeah. Well, the very first thing they say, you know, I have trouble with Christians, they're all hypocrites. Because the world out there, I know they're trying to put other identities and trying to look more better and more beautiful and more intelligent than they really are, but they're not trying to hide their mat. In the same way that perhaps Christianity can do. Jesus has a go at the mat hiding uh, religious leaders of his day uh, in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 23 says this Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self indulgence. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but in the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's a general assessment of religious people who don't know the grace of God. And you think, oh, that's the Pharisees, they're terrible, aren't they? No, that's us. When we fake it and we try the shell game of the outside and forget the inside. Now my quote comes. De uh, Derek Worthington in his book says, we cannot escape the particular feeling that in, in, in this sense we're some way defective. It's a sense that because of our brokenness, we're certain to live disconnected life, assured of outright rejection by those who you, we care about. We're afraid of being alone, afraid of failing to find or sustain love. In the end, we're ultimately afraid of losing ourselves. Why do we pretend that we're sorted? Because we think nobody will love you if they knew what you were like. It's, it, the psychologists call it the imposter's dilemma. We all have it. I was listening to Desert Island Discs, don't do it, it just happened to come on the radio on Friday as I was preparing some stuff, listening, and it was like, this lady who's an incredibly creative uh, person, I won't mention who it is, but a really creative woman, and she said, I just wanted to, people to love my art because I was worried that if they met me, they wouldn't love me. I think it's true, isn't it? We've all got a mat, and we all hide it. So what's the anecdote to this? And I told you already, so you can probably be falling asleep, but I'll get you. What has this paralyzed man got going for him? He's got friends. He's got amazing friends. And you might have heard me talk about this passage before, but every time I talk about this passage, and every time I talk about this guy's amazing friends, I think that is so profound. So many people in that culture, pre-NHS, 
priests, uh, you know, health benefits and whatever, guys who were paralyzed in those days were just left to die. They begged on the street and they died because they had no friends. Bartimaeus, which means son of filth, that was obviously his nickname, it's not his real name, son of filth, that's obviously what they called him, Bar, son of filth, son of the earth. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's got no one. Again, from the book that I quoted, John Ortberg says this, the mat that according to society should create a great gulf between him and them instead becomes an opportunity for mutual servanthood and acceptance. As his friends carry his mat, he discovers trusting vulnerability. Obviously, they're carrying him. And they discover dependable faithfulness. As they saw his dirt as he sold himself and they cleaned him up, it would make them reflect on their own less obvious dirt. Perhaps it would have stirred their openness, his vulnerability prompting their honesty. This becomes the Fellowship of the Mat. You can tell how old the book was. But the, the book was because it's when the Hobbit films were all out. <laughs> but you know, there's a, there's a sense where this guy's need... When, as, the, as the group meet it, suddenly becomes a way that they're aware of their own need. And, 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 and suddenly they, they, they start to press through into being his friends. I don't think that you can sustain a relationship where you just bring your need and someone just cares for you. I think sometimes our, our, our society, our, our, our kind of national health service or whatever society can create that thing where you just bring your need and we'll care for you. And, and, and we get into the mindset. So now, I mean, it's another sermon for another time, but how, how the victim in our society, you know, if you're a victim, you have more power because I'm the victim of this. This has happened to me or this has happened to me and this has happened to me and you need to meet my needs actually becomes the way that actually the people say... No, no. But somehow in this relationship, and I don't know how it happens, somehow this guy's needs and their meeting of his needs becomes a mutual thing. It's not just they're caring for him. Suddenly there's a, there's a sense where his vulnerability prompts their openness and vulnerability. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's, a, it's not just a nice idea to have friends. Ooh, wouldn't it be nice to have friends? It's actually critical. Pete Hughes, in a brilliant website, you can write it down. It's called Pattern, P-A-T-T-E-R-N, pattern.org.uk. It's a website from a church called KXC. It's a new wine church, an Anglican church in London. Pete Hughes, Tim Hughes' brother, Tim Hughes, the worship leader, he's, they've done a great website. Um, uh, it's absolutely full of gold about patterns of behavior that help you to become like Jesus. And they say this, so it's a long quote, but I just think it's so profound. Our towns and cities are formation machines. He's talking about London, it's a concrete rabbi. In other words, it's someone that teaches you. It's a concrete rabbi demanding its inhabitants become like it and adopting its lifestyle. For better or for worse, but never neutral. Cheltenham's a a little 
Cotswold Stone rabbi, teaching you how to behave in a Cheltenham way. It is. London might feel more obvious how it shapes you and forms you with the busyness and the hectic nature of it, but Cheltenham forms you and shapes you. For better or for worse, but never for neutral, our time, our energy, our resources are drawn into daily rituals, embodied, embodied practices of the towns and cities where we live. These habits are powerful. As writer uh, to ladies, Tish Warren, I think it's Patricia, but she calls herself Tish Warren, puts it, the crucible of our formation is the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. In other words, what she's saying is, your daily routines are what form you. We often think it's those big experiences in life, those, those critical moments, those mountaintop moments that form you, and they can, and they do. But actually, the daily routine of your life shapes you. Pete Hughes goes on. Towns and cities rewire us from the core to see the world a certain way and to desire certain things. It means the habits of our lives shape the desires of our lives, which in turn shape the directions of our lives. All this means that if we wake up tomorrow and we just live out a normal day in the city, we will be shaped, we will be discipled. The question is simply, into whose likeness? Are you apprentices of Cheltenham or apprentices of Jesus? The bottom line, if you don't make every effort, you're an apprentice of Cheltenham. Now, there's lovely stuff about Cheltenham, and I often say to people, I love living here. I will, I, you know, people say, you're going to plant another church. No, I'm, I love it here. <laughs> you know, I love living in Cheltenham, and I'm sure you do. But the stuff that Cheltenham's teaching us that is not what followers of Jesus should be learning. So we need some friends to do this. We need some real friends, some real community to get this landed if we want to have, as Peter read earlier, if we want to have faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness, godliness and community togetherness and love, those people who are productive and effective in their Christian lives, I know, I find them embedded in Christian community. If you are embedded in Christian community, I don't mean attending church community, I mean embedded in real community where people know you and they know your stuff and you know them and know their stuff and you, you're walking together with Jesus, you, that will keep you from being unproductive and ineffective. And I know the exact truth is opposite. Show me a struggling Christian and I guarantee there's, there's no real authentic Christian community around them. We isolate ourselves from community and ironically become critical and say, you know that church doesn't care for anyone. It's so sad. I see Christians struggling and in danger of, of falling and what happens is they isolate themselves more and more and more and then say, you know, the trouble is there's no community in this church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gets a few quotes here, says this. Sin, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German philosopher, preacher who died in the uh, Holocaust camps. Really profound uh, writer about the inner life of a disciple says this Sin wants to be alone with people, it takes them away from community. The more lonely people become, the more destructive the power of sin over them. The more deeply they become entangled, it the more unholy is their loneliness. 
Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of what is left unsaid, sin poisons the whole being of a person. You've got to be in with people. Sin wants you to hide, but you've got to be proactive and make of it. I've got to be with people. Paul Tripp in his brilliant book, The Dangerous Calling, which is about pastors who get isolated. That's why I read it, because I want to be friends with you and I want you to be friends with me. But, but he talks about in a chapter called The Missing Community this. He said, and it's true for all of you, whether you're a leader or not. I have come to understand that I need others in my life. Not if that's true. I have come now to understand that I need others in my life. I know now that I need, I love this, I need to commit myself to living an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I know now it's my role as a Jesus follower to seek this community out, to invite people to interrupt my private conversation and say things to me that I wouldn't say to myself. I've realized how much I need warning, encouragement, rebuke, correction, protection, grace, and love. And you do too. You do too. You need intentionally intrusive community. The bottom line is actually we don't like it. When Christopher says to me, you were doing it again on Sunday, I think, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Tell me I'm amazing. I think, I could tell you a few things about you, man. You're mad, matey. <laughs> but we all need someone who's going to say, Christopher, you are good at it, but we don't need just, like, come to Christopher and he will tell you the truths of your life. <laughs> you know, I'm really happy to do that about you, you know, but actually it's nice if you've got some friends that tell you, you know what you like, do you realise what you like? And we say yes when we're hearing this talk, but we say no when they tell us. I'm off. Finding another church until they find out what I'm really like and then I'll be off to another church. And in the end, you know where the trouble with church is. They don't really care. They tell you the truth and then leave you. Sorry, I'm sounding a bit Michael McIntyre. (laughs) Paul says this, not Michael McIntyre. He says this. I love this verse. Right, Get this on a tea towel. We cared for you. This is Paul the preacher, the great Bible teacher. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. Just preach and go. Write write sermons and go. He wants to share his life with you. The gospel is not just about listening to the truth of Jesus. It's about embedding that gospel into your life. And that, the way you do that is by community. At God First, the building blocks of this intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community are called threes. They're called threes. Now, you don't have to have a three. You can call it a five and have a fellowship of the mind. I really don't care. We don't organize it for you, but it's an idea that we want to keep pushing. And I want to push this for you as you start the new year. I want you to be in a three. Three Three is a time together. I wrote this little acrostic. I'm quite proud of it, actually. Time together. You've got to meet. You know, you got, I'll talk about time in a minute, but you've got, to have, you've got to take time. People say to me, I'm in a three. When did you last meet? Well, I don't think we've met since Christmas. That was last year, you know. Oh, we haven't met for four months. Yeah, yeah, you're not in a three. 
I've got friends that I meet with regularly to talk about how I'm doing spiritually. When did you last meet with them? Oh, it's about six weeks ago. Man, you can crash and burn in six weeks. I can crash and burn in six days. I meet regularly. I meet every week with my guys. You need honesty, confession and openness. You need to read the Bible. I'm going to talk about some of these in a minute as we land. The same passages, applying it to your lives. It's great that Lorette is doing that with her, with her, her group. Uh, encouraging each other to live as disciples of Jesus. And sometimes you get to eat together. For 27 years, I've been doing this. You think, man, what would you be like if you hadn't been doing it? It's not working. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy, the 20 stone guy who says, you know, I, I'm on this amazing diet. And you should say, well, you should have seen me when I was 40 stone. You know, because it, it has helped. It has helped. You know, that, that, that we've meet, I've met with people regularly for gospel-centered character conversation, character conversation. Spiritual growth, prayer, Bible reading, and sharing life together. It's interesting, the first guys that I ever met with when I was just married, a guy called Matt Hosey who preaches here, he was like unemployed. He's a clever guy, but he was unemployed at the time. And a guy called Pete Cornford, and me and him were both teachers. Now, I'm not saying, isn't this amazing, but actually, Advanced UK team, Matt Hosier, Pete Cornford, Howard Kelly. We met together, like we're just married you know, two teachers and someone unemployed, and God has used our creative togetherness and then other creative togethernesses to shape and create. And they, now Matt leads, leads church, to, to a church with two sites. Pete's a, a, a multiple church planter, and I am what I am. And I've met with others. I've met with others over the years. So I want you to encourage you to find a three. It's as simple as this. There's a little. It's a really profound flowchart. Uh, connect on Sunday. Do you know why we have tea and coffee at the back? It's not so I can stress about moving the tables. You know? Actually, it's so that you, could, you might stay and say, hello, and I know if you're an introvert, and I, I can, I'm a bit of an extrovert, an introvert pretended to be an extrovert at times, you know, so I find it difficult to press through to a proper conversation with you. So I'll have little, little, little flitty-flatty conversations, and then I'll come back and Naomi said, I had a really lovely talk with this person. She was, and she told me this, and she told me this, and she told me this, and I just went, oh, why don't I have a proper conversation with people? So I'm going to try and stop skimming round and saying hello to all of you, because I know you're not that bothered. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to have a meaningful conversation with one of you. Thank you. So you might get one with me every two years. About That's the number. And you might think, well, that's far too many. But yeah, I want to talk to you. you know, so I talk to Mike, and I think, actually, Mike, I don't really know what you do for a job. I don't, I, I don't know anything about you. I'm sorry. But, but, but you do the same, don't you? The tea and coffee's there so we can say hello. Find a three. Then get in a G1C. That's what our groups are called. I couldn't fit in God First Communities, but that's what it means. Find a God First Community. Speak to Christopher, speak to Tom Bradby, speak to me, speak to somebody who goes to and say, can I come to your group? We had a lovely time in our group. We sat around the table and we said, this week we ate, we ate food together, some very nice food, thank Will. Lovely uh, meatballs. Uh, and we ate together, and, um, and then we talked about, like, what does Christmas mean to us? And everyone was just really honest and say, you know, sometimes I find it lonely. I've, been, I've always been working. I haven't got kids. Some say, this is good, or sometimes I struggle with this. And it was just like, oh, this is just real life. And then the other week, we go out and quiz with people who don't know Jesus, and we're having a Christmas dinner for them, I think. Yes, Mark's nodding. So get in a community. Be a friend. Don't sit in the group and say, 
okay, I'm here now, love me, love me, with my needs, my mat. It's very obvious, I'm going to slap you around the face with it every time we have coffee. Could you carry my mat for me? No, just be a friend. Actually, one of my challenges is to find out what other people's mats are. Because I'm like so busy telling everybody what mine is. I, I need to find out what yours is and help to carry yours. But be a friend and then form a three. I'll just say a couple of things and I'm going to get someone else up to say some stuff. The way you get going in a three is tell your story. Tell your story. Not your brushed up, you know, interview story. You know, how amazing you are. Please interview me. But tell your story. Uh, Pete Hughes puts it this way on that website pattern. He says, we begin this process or we begin these connecting points by telling our stories. Is this a chance to look back over the significant moments of your life? The good ones, the painful ones, the disappointing ones, the momentous ones, the confusing ones that have led you to where you are now. It's a space to better understand yourself and how God's been at work in your life to build honest, life-shaping relationships. The intimate relationships, people know the last 10% about you. So when you tell your story... Okay, it might not, you might have to go around the block twice. You might tell your story once and think, okay, I'm, I'm being pretty brave and telling you about some of my challenge. And then as you build trust and friendship, you might go around the block again and say, actually, there's another, another layer here that I just want to tell you about. But tell your story. We went to get away uh, as a bunch of leaders uh, and one guy was telling his story and he just said, I don't think I've talked this honestly about my story with anyone for a long, long time. Tell your story. And then I'm going to say a couple of things about time and then the Bible, and then I'm going to get Paul to come on and say something. You need to take time. You've got to prioritise community. You've got to prioritise meeting. You've got to find who your mates are. You can't be friends with 120. I mean, you can try, but you can, you know, you need... Jesus had three and 12 and 17 and 120. You know, find, find some people. Jesus, by the way, wasn't confessing his sins to everyone, by the way, because he didn't have any. But he did have those close relationships. John Ortberg says this, we try to create 21st community, first century community, sorry, like we see in the Bible, on a 21st century timetable, and it doesn't work. Because the biggest single barrier to deep mask-off connectedness for us is simply the pace of our lives. The requirement of true intimacy, listen to this guys, if you're married, if you're single and you're trying to get married, you know, listen to this, women, listen to this, they're not so bad actually, the, the requirement for true intimacy is unhurried time. If you think you can fit your deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. Wise people do not try to microwave friendship, parenting, marriage. You can't do community in a hurry. You cannot listen in a hurry. You cannot mourn or rejoice in a hurry. Many people lack great friends for the simple reason they've never made pursuing community a priority. You cannot carry someone's mat in a hurry. And everyone has a mat. Paul, why don't you come up and just talk about... Paul's in a three with me. I told him not to tell any of my dirty secrets. But just to, he, Paul's been doing the similar, haven't you, Paul, actually, for a number of years. You've been in, a, in these kind of open communities. So why don't you just tell us what, some of your learnings? Perfect. All right. Well, 
I didn't know you were going to not let me tell you your junk. I thought I had a couple hours here, so. I need to stand here. No, Howard and I have been meeting since I came. I think almost on the second day I got here, I asked Howard who he was meeting with, and it was just the right time. I think he was turning over from somebody, and we've been together for four years. When I was an 18-year-old freshman uh, at the University of Oklahoma, a guy named Boyd Pelly came up to me and said, uh, and I was just new there, and he said, hey, why don't we get together? I, I want to read a book, and I'd love somebody to read it with me. And it was really his kind way to say, why don't you start meeting with me? And so for nearly 40 years now, I've been in a relationship with some guy in some manner. And, uh, and, and that has been life-changing for me. If you go back to those verses that Howard said, and I was going to read them again, but where he talked about... You know, you're going to either pursue Jesus or not. That Second uh, Peter 1, I'd encourage everybody to go back and read it. And, and when I decided I wanted to follow Jesus, someone said, and, and it's been my kind of desire, I don't ever want to be the same person on January 1st that I was at the last January 1st. You know, and so I want somebody in my life that is challenging me on what am I doing about my relationship with Jesus? What am I doing about my relationship with my wife? What am I doing about my relationship with my kids? And what am I doing about loving my community? So in those little groups, we sit there and talk about those very things. You know, what are we doing on all four of those things? And you know what? I've, I've seen a lot of guys that say, I'm, I'm looking for the right guy. I'm just waiting for the right guy. And, and ladies, I'm, the same thing applies to, the, to ladies. I've, I've met so many people who says, oh, I'm just trying to find the right guy. You know what? The right guy is somebody who has an ear and who the next week will say, did you, say we, did you do what you said you were going to do? You know? Because when we're reading the, the word together, I don't need the right guy. I need Jesus and the Spirit speaking into my life, convicting me, and then I need someone who's going to hold me accountable for that. And, and one of the coaching I've gotten in life was um, that, and this is one of the things I say to everybody that's getting married, I think the most important thing you can do for your wife is find another guy. Because it shouldn't be your wife that's holding you accountable for chasing after Jesus or for loving her. You should have somebody who's poking you all the time saying, did you do what you said you were going to do to better love Jesus, to better love your wife, to better love your kids? So, so it's really, it doesn't need to be the right guy. It needs to be a guy, and it needs to be somebody that you're meeting with regularly. Um, I'll tell you another little thing. So for me, and if you read the Bible, Jesus got up early. You see it all the time. He got up early. He got up early and went away. He was alone. So this doesn't replace your alone time with God. But he also got away and got with people. And, uh, and he did that. And I just would say, I know guys who meet in the evening, and congratulations if you can. I could never protect that time. But I could always protect 5.30, 6.30. There was a time in my life I was in living in D.C. And uh, I was meeting with a guy who changed my life. He was just amazing. I'll tell you a quick story on that. And we were meeting at 5.30, and I had to change my carpool. I was going to have to leave around that time. And he said, so what are you doing at 4.30? Oh, I didn't have an excuse. So we met at 4.30 for a while because it was that important that we kept meeting. And so, no, I didn't do that for a long, long time. I quickly figured out how to change my carpool. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact was that was that important that I wanted someone speaking into my life. So I've told you that So in those times, Aaron and I, and right now Andy, and there's been a mix of different people, you know, we get together, we are reading the same passages every week, every day, we're texting each other, what's that speaking into you, what's the nugget you got out of that, and for, what's so fun is for each one of us, it's a different look, 
you know, and, and you know, the Bible says it's a two-edged sword uh, able to pierce both bone and marrow, and it's really cool to see what Howard is piercing him is different than it's piercing me. So we're reading the scripture together. I've had friends of mine where we've memorized scripture together. Sometimes it's reading a book, uh, but it, it is life-changing. I, and I'll go to one more thing. So, so I told you that that's chasing Jesus. I'll talk to you about how it's affecting my relationship with my wife. It's really good for me to have somebody who's asking me how I love Molly all the time. And these guys do. And they know the things that I struggle with that I need to do better at at caring for my wife. Um, I was meeting with a guy nearly 30 years ago named Pete. And, uh, and Pete saw me and he was watching me in my life and he knew the stuff I was kind of struggling with. And he came to one of our threes and he brought me this card. I've been carrying it for 30 years and it means a lot to me because it says, Paul Hunt, Dad. It's a business card. <laughs> what was he trying to tell me? Hmm. He was telling me I needed to keep my priorities right. Yeah. And it was, you know, I've carried this for 30 years. So I'll stop just to say when you get people in your life that can help you make sure that you're not the same person on January 1st, 2019, that you were January 1st, 2018, that's really good. And I think the things that Howard's going to do and challenge us to be in it, to chase Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, are going to be really good. I'm excited to see that. So I want to get you just two things. And I know the time's racing, but I want to embed this. Embed this. Um, true community brings you to Jesus. The, the, the mat carriers decide to bring the paralyzed guy to Jesus. Sometime in their relationship, somewhere along the line, they said, you know what? You need Jesus. And probably the paralyzed guy says, well, you need him too. So they drop by and pick him up. And they get there, and the church is all closed in, having its nice meeting. There's no space for them. There's another story for another time. But they come and they break through the roof. They break through the roof. And I want to give you two simple ways to break through the roof. The first one is I want you to read the Bible together. So at the back, what we've got, and also on our website, uh, on the news, if you click news, you'll see this picture five by five by five challenge. And what I want us to do is to read the same Bible passage together. Now, some of you, you think, I want to get my own program, and that's fine. I know you don't like to be told what to do. But I'm just trying to say, this is a really great way. We did it as a church about five years ago when there was a small handful of us. Uh, and basically, it's, it's the New Testament in a year. And it's five days. So you get, you get, if you think, I want to read some Old Testament, you can do that on a Saturday and Sunday. If you want to put your feet up and think, whatever, you can do that on a Saturday and Sunday. But we're begging, I want to encourage you to read a chapter of the New Testament and Old Testament. And there's a reading plans paper at the back. You can download the PDF from the website. You can get on uh, what's on version. It's like an app on your phone. You search plans. You put in five by five by five. It'll say discipleship journey, journal, and you can do that. You've got, the thing with that is you must start on the 1st of January. Because it, it, it doesn't like, you can't tell it when to start. I, I need to tell the app designers. But I want us all to start on the 1st of January. If you're in, that's fine. And I'd love you to sign up on the website. If you sign up on the website, and, and with your free, you can put add person, add person. We'll promise for the first month only, because it would cost us a thousand quid to do the whole year. But for the first month, we'll text you what the reading is. Just to get you rolling. And then when you've done that, once you've got the Bible uh, reading, I want you just to, uh, I want you to find out what the nugget is or what the thing that God speaks to you and then WhatsApp it to your friends, your, your three. So you've got a three and you read it and you WhatsApp it to your friends. And it, it doesn't take much. I copy the verse 
drop it into WhatsApp, and then just say what God has spoken. And it's really interesting because we always find something out, something different. Because, you know, in one sense, you want to know, you want to ask questions. What does this say about God? And I've got, I'm running out of time, but you, the, the Bible, in one sense, quick way to remember it, is like a, a, mirror, a window, a mirror, and a door. So a window, it's a, Bible reading is a, picture, a window on God. That's the first thing you're doing. It's not like how to, five little handy tips on how to live a happy life. It's a window onto God. It's a mirror on what you're like. And it's a doorway to go through and do stuff. A window, a mirror, a door. But text your group. This is what I'm reading. It embeds, even if your group never responds, embeds in your, in your thinking what, what, what the old people, old-fashioned people used to call journaling. Where you used to write, you take what the Bible, you'd write it down. We don't do that these days. But if you do it, you just type in what you think, what you feel God's saying, the window, door, whatever. You just do that. And I tell you, you will grow. You'll grow spiritually. Uh, I, I've met people who said to me, I've been a Christian years, never read my Bible. I think, hell, well, let's get started, eh? Let's get started. And then uh, the last one is I want to talk to you just about briefly about confession. And I know time's chasing and you're probably thinking... I don't like him, he goes on too long. But I'm committed to you guys. <laughs> you, I want you to go through the roof by being honest. In you, when you get this free, when you get this group, you can do this as a married couple, you can do this as a bunch of friends, you can do it, but you know, you can, but I think you can do that with any setting, but I think in your three, do it as well. So I'm not saying don't be honest with everybody else, you know, fake to everyone else and just tell, my th- tell your three the truth. You, I want you to, to do that, but... But you need to have this question where that you need to trust someone. So what happens is a break through the roof and the lower the guy down. You know, he's eight foot above the ground that he could have easily dropped. They could have just like dumped him through with his vulnerability. But now they gently, gently, gently lower him down. Lower him down. His vulnerability is safe in their hands. But you need to have this situation where I want to ask you, You've got to go through the roof with somebody where you risk confession. and you ha- It feels like you're hanging eight foot high, but sometimes that's the only way to Jesus. I want to ask you, who do you confess your weakness and struggles to? Who do you let see your vulnerability? Who do you trust to bring Jesus' words of healing and forgiveness? Who's the right to point out character traits or sins that you don't even see? Who knows you well enough to pray for you? You need to have that stuff. Let me finish with three quick quotes. I'm going to break bread then. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, two great quotes on confession. In confession, there takes, a br- there takes place a breakthrough to community. And then I read the first part about this. In confession, there takes place a breakthrough to community. Sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from community. The more lonely people come, the more destructive the power of sin over them. The more deeply they become entangled in it, the more unholy their loneliness. Sin wants to remain alone. It shuns the light. In the darkness of what is unsaid, sin poisons the whole being. And then I read that, and then he continues. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is, in, what is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. You need to be able to say, you know, I, I've struggled with this. And we've got to bring it to Jesus. I know some guys uh, in, a church in, Manchester, in the church in Manchester, they, they met for a whole year and they basically said to each other every week, oh, we're going to be vulnerable. And they said, oh, you know, I struggle with porn. They'd say that, the three. I wasn't in the three, excuse me, don't. 
But um, they'd said, and every week they just said they struggle with porn. But they were missing the trick. Confession's good, but it's supposed to bring you to Jesus. Yeah. Okay, let's deal with this. What's the root? What's the thought? What's the pattern? What's the behavior? Let's deal with this. Bonhoeffer again, and then we're going to break bread. Bonhoeffer says, confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. When you say, this is my mat, this is my brokenness, it hurts, it cuts a man down. It's a dreadful blow to the pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is an ignominy that is almost unbearable. It's really hard to say, this is me. In the confession of concrete sin, the old sinful man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of the brother. In deep mental and physical pain, the humiliation before a brother, which means before God, we experience, sorry, in the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation, of confession, we experience the cross of Jesus as our rescue and salvation. The old sinful man dies, but it's God who's conquered him. We now share the resurrection of Christ and eternal life. I've known situations in church where really big, 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 big stuff has happened. And I've said, look, you just need to confess it. You just need to tell your friends and confess it. And I know for those people that have been brave enough to do that, it's been really, really hard, but has actually been hugely transformational in their life. Because if you bottle it up, there's no, no way forward. John Ortberg says this, count on it. In community with Jesus and those you love, most of what happened to this man will happen to you. You'll be brought to Jesus. Sin will get named and dealt with. Your life will be enlarged. And although this sounds frightening, it's the best gift of all. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.